Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am here as usual. My name is Jeff. My uh, co-host, as usual, also is here, Mark A. Johnson. Mark, welcome back. Hey, Jeffrey. It's great to be here, man. I'm uh, I'm a little um, light on uh, baseball information right now because, you know, if you notice, you go to the baseball pages and stuff like that, and it's uh, lots of great stuff going on internationally, but nothing's happening here in our home country. A lot of Mike Trout drawings and uh, yes. realignment maps. That's, uh, that's about it. But I got to tell you, Mark, we've got so much stuff in this show today. And some of it is new. There, there is actual new stuff going that I, we got to get right into it because I have so much stuff that I want to cover. All and right. uh, a couple of them are a, a little bit newer. The first thing I want to talk about is Camden Yards. I'm, I'm assuming you saw this, but they're moving the fences back in left field at Camden Yards for this upcoming season. As much as 30 feet Wow, that, I did not know it was that much. That's a lot. Yeah, in left field, they are moving the wall back. It's going to come out from the from the foul pole, the fair pole, and essentially there is going to be a 90-degree angle where the bullpen starts, which will move part of the wall back 30 feet. They're also doubling the height. So the, the height of the wall there at Camden has always been 7 feet, and, you know, you've had a lot of guys jump up, rob some home runs. It's now going to be 14 feet. Oh, okay. It is going to be, part of it is going to be the deepest left field in all of baseball next year. So Camden's becoming a pitcher's park. Okay. <laughs> this is this is extreme home park makeover. Like they no are doubt. really moving this back. Baltimore hit 122 home runs at home last year and uh, only 73 on the road. The Orioles pitchers, though, they also allowed 155 homers at home compared to with just 103 on the road. <laughs> now, I do want to remind our listeners that the Orioles were tied for a Major League Baseball worst 52 and 110 record last season. So you could move the fences back, sure, or maybe you could get a better team, put it on the field, better pitchers. <laughs> that sometimes helps. There is going to be a portion of left center field that is 364 feet from home plate with a 14-foot high fence. That's, that's, a, that's a shot. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> if they're not good already, they're going to score less with this. Man, okay. Unless you've just got all left-handers at the plate. But that is, uh, I thought that was a bit extreme. Uh, another name, Rachel Balkovec. Yeah. Very exciting. First female manager in professional baseball. She's going to be taking charge of the New York Yankees low A affiliate in the Florida State League, the Tampa Tarpons. So uh, she is a former catcher at Creighton and New Mexico. Belkovec, she also has a master's degree in kinesiology from LSU and another in human movement sciences from Vrijja. University wow. in the Netherlands. I looked that up. Vraya. You have to trill the R. Oh, well, I'm glad you looked that up. I also don't know what any of those words mean that she has these degrees <laughs> in. But nonetheless, congratulations. That's, uh, that's just two years in a row now. We've had huge hirings of women in very high positions in, in baseball. Yep. Hey, man. And they're helping their teams out. That's awesome. All right, Mark. Last week, we talked about box scores. 
And yes. we uh, we looked at a couple of, of crazy games and we asked our listeners to send in some other box scores that were crazy that maybe we hadn't covered before. And we did get a couple, a couple of which I wanted to wanted to discuss here. One of them is a 16 to four game. The Rangers beat the Oakland A's in uh, July of 1983, 16 to four. Now, that just seems like it's a it's a, a butt kicking there by the Rangers over the A's. 16 to 4. This game went 15 innings. The Texas Rangers. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the final score in 15 innings, the Texas Rangers 16, the Oakland A's 4. The Texas Rangers <laughs> score 12 runs in the top of the 15th inning. Wow. That's that's like had they had a cork on it and wow, somebody shook up the bottle and exploded. Yeah, they they forgot they needed to score or they realized they had dinner reservations and needed to to get out of there. <laughs> But, yes. Yeah, the A's bullpen. I mean, this team was awful back <laughs> at this point. Anyway, in 1983, they were really bad. Ricky did go three for seven in the game with four stolen bases, though. Well, of course he did. Yeah, He's he Rick- was. <laughs> he and uh, shortstop Bill Allman were the only A's that decided that they were there to play that day. The pitching was just not good. Another game happened last year. And uh, I had forgotten about this one. It was uh, September 11th, 2021. Second game of a doubleheader. So remember last year, Rob Manfred and all his brilliant genius uh, the last couple of years decided doubleheaders are going to be two games of seven innings each. Well, uh, last year, the Blue Jays downed the Orioles 11-2. to two. This is in seven innings. Heading into the top of the seventh, it was two to nothing Orioles. The Blue Jays oh, wow, scored okay. 11 runs in the top of the seven. <laughs> Again, okay. this Orioles team's awful. Yeah. Yeah, let's look at all of the home runs in that inning. Bo Bichette hit one. Alejandro Kirk hit one. Marcus Simeon hit one. Teoscar Hernandez hit one. So that is probably one of the impetus for moving the, the walls back a, a wee bit. Or a lot. From I this get that. Orioles team. Yeah, I get that now. Yeah. Tanner Scott for the O's. He's credited with pitching a third of an inning, six hits, six runs, all of them earned. Yikes. Ouch. So, yeah, keep them coming. Those are fun. If you've got some some crazy uh, box scores that you want to have us take a look at, that's, uh, that's fun to get some of those in here. Another thing I wanted to talk about, last week we talked about Ruben Sierra and his music. I think, frankly, we should every week. It just so happened that the latest episode of a podcast that we've talked about before, the 1988 Tops podcast, their last episode was on Ruben Sierra. Oh, nice. So they did their whole their whole episode on Ruben, and they always do such a great job of really going in depth and, and talking about their careers, and as well as the stuff we like to talk about. And they played some music for Ruben's albums, and they, too... Thought it was great, which is awesome. We're we're all big Ruben Sierra music fans here. Oh, he's got a voice like butter. He he does, and uh, I would really like to recommend again if you aren't already listening to that, uh, go ahead and do that. I'll put a link to that show about Ruben Sierra in the show notes. I didn't know the the ties that Ruben had with Roberto Clemente, and it's it's very interesting. Again, I'll put it in the show notes. Make sure to go and listen to that if if that interests you at all, because it was a it was really. As usual, a really great episode. This is show number 149, Mark. So next week is is a big number in the podcast biz. It is 150. 
the milestone, it is a so milestone. to speak. Yeah. We put out the call last week for some second best topics. We're going to bring back that that uh, that gimmick and we'll do some of that. We've gotten actually an awful lot of second best topics. Please keep them coming. If you have any uh, anything that you want to get our opinion on, maybe not what the best answer is, but what the second best answer is, go ahead and send them to us. We'll tell you how at the end of the show and get those in, and we will go through those next week. Also, make sure to tell us what you think the answer is. Every, we've got a lot of topics, but nobody's actually telling us what they think the second best answer is. Or tell us what you think the best answer is, and then we'll tell you what the second best is. How about that? There's plenty of ways you can go with yeah, this. Yeah, this is not a complicated... <laughs> this is and our there's show. There's not this a is, lot of rules either, folks. This is, you know... Yeah, this is... <laughs> we, we don't... We can't really make things too complicated for the two of us, so... Mark, trivia question from last week. Right. I thought this was a good one. Apparently, it was a hard one. Either that or just nobody listened to the show last week because we only got one right answer. Wow. So this is the, the question. Who is the only player who has appeared in a World Series game at both Wrigley Field and Comiskey Park in Chicago? Right. Now, you promised, again, that you were going to put some thought into this. Did you come up with an answer? Um, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I honest. put thought into it. Don't get me wrong. I put thought into it. I just I drew a lot of blanks. Well, the answer, and again, on this show, if the answer is not Ricky Henderson or Nolan Ryan, <laughs> you can always go with a couple of safe answers. The answer is Babe Ruth. Oh, wow. 1918. That should be a, a okay, pretty okay. famous year for, for Red Sox fans. The Red Sox played the Cubs in the World Series, and the Cubs played their World Series games in Comiskey Park because it was larger. They could fit more people in there. Oh. And then as a Yankee, he played against the Cubs in 1932 in Wrigley. Bam. Ah, I knew there had to be some kind of weird twist to it because... I was drawing, like I said, I drew a lot of blanks, a lot more than I draw when I play uh, Scrabble. So there you go. One correct answer. Andrew Harner, congratulations. You are the the champion this week because you were (laughs) the only one that got that answer. Now, one of our regulars who likes to send us to court kind of uh, kind of messed up on their answer, didn't understand the question or or something. So uh, we're going to be nice, though, and we're not going to send we're not going to send him to court. We'll just, I'm not going to name names, but it's somebody that sends us to court a lot. All right, next, uh, new question for next week. Who was the last player to hit more home runs than the rest of their team combined in a season? <laughs> nice. That's uh, quite a feat. And it, it didn't go as far back as I would have thought it would have needed. I was thinking it needed to go back to like 1910 or something when, you know, Ty Cobb, hit the nine inside the park home runs or whatever to, to lead the league. Right. Right. Don't have to go back that far. So last player to hit more home runs than the rest of their team combined in a single season. We will give you the answer next week. And of course, send in what you think the answer is to us. Uh, And again, we'll go over all this at the end of the show. It's the way we keep you around. You got to wait in case you can't figure out how to get a hold of us. Coming back for more. Yeah. All right, Mark, that's going to wrap up our BP. Like I said, we had a lot of stuff I wanted to get to during BP. We're going to let the ground screw. They are really hustling because we took a long time and there's rain on the way. So they're really trying to get this game underway as quick as possible. So 
It is my week to talk about something, and I am uh, I'm pretty excited. I am wearing a shirt right now that has a picture of Keith Hernandez on it, and uh, underneath it, it says, nice game, pretty boy. <laughs> I'm just glad you're wearing a shirt this time. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not on camera today, so oh. I figured I was just going to, I was going for comfort. Okay. I also have, a, I have, it's weird how many Keith Hernandez shirts I have right now, but I do have quite a few. And the reason I am doing this is because it was announced last week that the New York Mets are going to retire Keith Hernandez number 17 next year. Not a lot of Mets numbers retired. The only other retired numbers are Tom Seaver's 41, Mike Piazza's 31, Jerry Kuzman's 36, and then two managers, Gil Hodges and Casey Stengel. Uh, 14 and 37 respectively also have their numbers retired. So a big deal. They're not like the Yankees and and retire, you know, anybody's number (laughs) just about. They're not every single digit there is. Yeah. They're not, they're not retiring guys selling peanuts in the stands (laughs) or, you know, a a janitor that was there for four years. They actually kind of make you earn it. So I decided we're going to, we're going to talk about Keith Hernandez today. Right on. Keith has been a mainstay of our show from the start and with this news of his Jersey retirement and now even more continuing support for him to possibly get into Cooperstown. I thought it was time that we just break down. We do a whole Keith Hernandez episode, but we're not going to do our usual. Keith Hernandez was born to a coal miner's wife at a small town in West Virginia. Keith was, in fact, born in San Francisco and raised by a middle class family near there father played minor league ball with Stan Musial during the war. He was a coach. He was very influential in Keith's entire career and was kind of his sounding board through his entire career. But we're going to do more of a casual breakdown of Keith's career and, of course, focus on a lot of the off-field stuff that we like to do here, as well as we'll talk about his numbers on the field. But we're going to do this a little bit more. We're going to focus more on the -the off-the-field stuff than the on-field stuff. So first, Keith was given a nickname when he was in the Cardinals minor league system. That nickname was Max. Teammates called him this because the baseball player is not really known for researching family trees. Or they would have discovered that Keith's family was actually Spanish, not Mexican. But the nickname stuck, though he hated it. And frankly, if he had said anything about it, I'm sure they would have just called him Max Harder because that is what baseball players do. Something else Keith picked up in the minor leagues, a bit of a drug habit. Yeah. Yeah, is right. It started with marijuana, but it evolved to the harder stuff, mainly cocaine. And I'm not just talking about the occasional rail at a party. I'm talking like Scarface level stuff. Cocaine was a big problem in baseball at this point. And Keith even admits to having played a game while under the influence. Although not surprisingly enough, he can't remember which game it was. It caused problems uh, in both his personal life, leading to a divorce, and it also led to issues in the Cardinals clubhouse, as his manager, Whitey Herzog, described him as a cancer and led to St. Louis dealing Keith to the Mets in 1983, only one season removed from Keith helping Whitey's Cardinals to win the 1982 World Series. Keith had to put up great numbers while in St. Louis. He was named co-MVP of the National League in 1979, along with Willie Stargell. That is still the only time we've ever had co-MVPs. He was an all-star twice. He won a batting title, and he collected gold gloves like they were Magikarps. That's a Pokemon reference. Oh, I get it. Sorry. Yes, like the Charmander. 
I'm so. just happy I knew one. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thanks. Right. But uh, Keith and the White Rat, as I said, never really got along. Uh, Keith saw this trade as Whitey trying to bury him with a then floundering Mets team. But what Whitey didn't know, I guess it was unbeknownst to Whitey, but now announced to us, the yes, Mets absolutely. had some guys in the minor leagues that were ready to turn the ship around. This, along with Keith's burning desire to prove Whitey wrong, led to a marriage made in Flushing. His first full year with the Mets in 1984, Keith hit 311 with 15 homers, 94 RBI, and a Ricky Henderson-esque on-base percentage of 409 and a 143 OPS. Yeah, 409. Like, they should have stuck him in the leadoff spot. Man, I guess. He finished second to Ryan Sandberg in the MVP voting because Ryan Sandberg collected 19 triples that year, so you kind of got to give it to him. Because that was the weird year for yeah, that was the, the 19 triple year. Very odd. Crazy. But Keith had a fantastic year and probably, well, I mean, he came in second, but there was a good swelling of support that maybe he should have won that MVP. But drugs continue to follow Keith around. To start the 1986 season, Hernandez was a target in a massive investigation by the commissioner about drug use by major league players. Keith even eventually named names. Among them were some very familiar names. Bernie Carbo, Lonnie Smith, Joaquin Andujar, Dave Parker, Gary Matthews, Enos Cabell. Now the article said Jeff Leonard, but I've to make him happy, I went ahead and, and wrote down Jeffrey Leonard and J.R. Richard. On March 1st, Commissioner Peter Uberoth suspended Hernandez and seven other players for an entire year but offered to lift the suspension if the players agreed to take a number of steps, including they had to give 10% of their salaries to anti-drug programs. They had to undergo drug tests for the rest of their careers. Keith eventually took the deal. And it's interesting because, like I said, this is the beginning of the 86 season. The Mets World Series that year probably doesn't happen if Keith has to sit out that entire year. So this was a really big deal. Like, I know I never heard about it. There was no social media, and, you know, I was in Salt Lake City, so I don't get a lot of New York news. I never heard about this in 1986. Did you? I remember hearing it, uh, but I didn't uh, pay a whole lot of attention to it. I was, it made me kind of sad. Uh, J.R. Richard was one of my favorites. So uh, that's all I really remember about it. Not a lot of details. Well, Keith was a clubhouse leader and was eventually named the first captain in the history of the New York Mets back when captains got to wear that big C on their pullover jerseys. I remember distinctly with Keith. It, I thought it looked pretty cool. Following the 86 season, though, injuries started to slow Keith down, eventually leading to his release after the 1989 season. He was signed to a two-year deal with Cleveland, but appeared in only 43 games for the Guardians because of injury and eventually retired. Now, let's talk about Keith Hernandez's defense. When you name certain positions, there are names that immediately come to mind as being the best defensively at those positions. For me, third base, you got Brooks Robinson. Center field, Absolutely. Willie Mays. Pitcher, Greg Maddox. My God, we've talked about him. Shortstop, yes. Derek Jeter. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, time out. <laughs> One of those doesn't seem right. Uh, okay, let's scratch the Jeter. <laughs> I just wanted to get a reaction. When you mention first base, though, I think it's got to be Keith Hernandez. 
While Keefe developed into a great hitter over his career, his defense was always incredible. He ended up winning the most gold gloves at first base, 11 in a row from 1978 to 1988. He could pick balls in the dirt, he had incredible range, and he was so aggressive defending bunts that Cubs manager Jim Frey said that he wouldn't even have his pitchers try to bunt against the Mets. He said, quote, you're just asking for a force out at second, and now you've got your pitchers running the bases, end quote. <laughs> there were times when he would actually end up in front of home plate at the same time the pitch arrived when he thought somebody was bunting. <laughs> His career fielding percentage was .994. He committed only 115 errors over a 17-year career with almost 20,000 chances. Wow. I mean, he, he's like a wall there. Nothing gets past him. So we've talked about some of these numbers. I'm going to come back at the end of this, and I want to talk about his Hall of Fame resume. But now let's get into some of the, the things that we like to talk about here. Since retiring, Keith has gone on to make many appearances in TV and movies, and we'll cover that here shortly. But it took some time for him to come around to grasping the concept of getting back into the game after he retired. But he eventually gave in and since has joined Gary Cohen and former teammate Ron Darling in the booth for Sportsnet New York to become one of the most popular booths in baseball calling games. Keith has not been without his controversies since moving to the booth, however. In 2006, the Padres massage therapist Kelly Calabrese, gasp a woman, was shown in the Padres dugout celebrating a home run. Hernandez said, quote, Who is the girl in the dugout with the long hair? What's going on here? You've got to be kidding me. Only player personnel in the dugout, end quote. Uh, after Hernandez was informed that she was a club employee, he continued digging his own grave, now with both feet firmly implanted in his mouth. He said, quote, I wouldn't say that women belong in the kitchen, but they don't belong in the dugout. End quote. Oh, Oops. Yikes. Uh, to nobody's surprise, except for maybe Keith's, he got a lot of pushback, leading him to apologize with this very sincere statement. He said, quote, you know, I'm only teasing. I love you gals out there. Always have. End quote. <laughs> Here, here's a shovel, Keith. Dig deeper. <laughs> I would say maybe just don't let him talk for a while after that. Mm -hmm. That's not good. Uh, I will not get into uh, Keith's political leanings other than to say yuck. Uh, Elaine Bennis would never have dated Keith Hernandez today. I can I can distinctly tell you that Seinfeld appearances are probably Keith's biggest foray into pop culture leading of course to this most memorable moment <laughs> go ahead kiss her I'm a baseball player damn it what's he waiting for I thought he was a cool guy <laughs> come on I won the MVP in 79 I can do whatever I want to Awkward. Well, good night. Good night. Who does this guy think he is? I'm Keith Hernandez. <laughs> of course, you get the second spitter, which uh, yes. since uh, you know in the in the past little while, Keith has actually said that the uh, Seinfeld writers Larry David actually wanted Daryl Strawberry to be the second spitter. Uh, or, right. or was it or was it Doc Gooden? One of the two. But <laughs> they were obviously had some off field issues. And uh, 
it was suggested that maybe Roger McDowell, I think, probably worked best there. Right, which fit because Roger was a oh, prank. he's a goofball. Yeah, fits right in. Uh, other acting credits include an appearance on Showtime's Billions, which he appeared in 2018 as Elmsley Count. I have I've never seen the show, so I don't know who that is. Uh, he also starred in a movie called Barracuda, which is also a Dave Valley's walk-up music, if I'm not mistaken, by heart. This 2013 movie, which is, quote, based on actual events. Barracuda is an original vengeance theme story and fresh take on sexual perversions, the lives it affects, and the pursuit of it, end quote. I guess it's available at your local Blockbuster if you want to check it out. I don't know. In 2000, he had a small role in the film The Yards, which get this cast, Mark Wahlberg, Joaquin Phoenix, Charlize Theron, James Caan, Ellen Burstyn, and Faye Dunaway. And Keith Hernandez. And Keith Hernandez. Now, all those people, though, doesn't make it a good movie. But still, you know, he was working (laughs) with some big names. Uh, He was also in the baseball movie The Scout, where he played himself. The movie's titular character, Steve Nebraska, played by Brendan Fraser, is loosely based on a pitcher named Steve Dalkowski. (laughs) Oh, yes. Which, of course, we have done an entire episode on, and you should go back and listen to if you haven't heard it, because it was uh, very interesting. Also in that movie, Bob Costas, Tim McCarver, Tony Bennett, John Sterling, Brett Saberhagen, not rapping, George Steinbrenner, <laughs> Brian Cashman, Ozzie Smith, Bob Tewksbury, and Bobby Mercer. I don't think I've seen that movie more than once, and I don't um, remember much about it. Yeah, I don't remember it being memorable. Does that make any sense? I'm just impressed that Brian Cashman was in it. Like, Yeah, no kidding. I think he was a G- the GM at that point, but... Uh, anyway, uh, he also appeared in an episode of Law and & Order and finally had a reoccurring role in the PBS show Ghost Rider in 1993. Oh, wow. Which I did not know. I didn't even know there was a series. I read that book as a youth. Keith has also been a national spokesman for Just for Men with Walt Frazier. Hi, I'm Keith Hernandez. And I'm Walt Clyde Frazier. Home run! Another win with Just for Men. Keith and the the mustache, of course, is something that uh, we'll cover here in one second. But uh, there's also a short film called I'm Keith Hernandez by artist Rob Perry. Now, (laughs) the description of this film reads, quote, as part of this discourse, the physical attribute of the mustache is explored as a symbol of male virility. Other topics include the Iran-Contra affair and the resulting crack explosion celebrating obsessed culture and the subtleties of children's television programming. So it really has a bit of everything. Yes. <laughs> uh, this movie is currently playing nowhere and you cannot find it anywhere. Or if you can, let me know because I'm intrigued. This was purely an art project by this guy, Rob Perry. And I don't know how much of it is actually about Keith Hernandez, even though he's in the title. <laughs> In 2007, Hernandez won the Mustache Madness contest on Newsday.com. The American Mustache Institute, which again, I, I how do you become a member? Or can you become a fellow? Like, what do you do at the, and what do they do all day? Is this somebody's full-time job to be like the CEO of the American Mustache Institute? I need to know. Well, 
you got to know your mustache uh, waxes uh, backwards and forwards. And uh, you probably have to have something interesting, you know, like a handlebar or a, or a Doc Holiday. Maybe. I don't know. You probably have I'm to guessing. know what all of the different styles are called. That's probably That's true. one of those things, too. Uh, well, nonetheless, the American Mustache Institute chose his facial hair as the top sports mustache ever, which is weird because it seems like they are completely unaware that Raleigh fingers ever existed. Right? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not on board with that. Baseballreference.com, we've mentioned this before, ranks Hernandez mustache as the fourth best in history with uh, Raleigh fingers being at number one because baseball reference knows what's going on. Right. Let's get to his Hall of Fame resume. Like I said, uh, he's been gathering some momentum the last couple of years regardless to appear on one of past era ballots. Uh, I believe he stayed on the ballot for nine years but never reached the plateau and then fell off on that that ninth year. He didn't receive enough to be on there for the 10th. A lot of renewed interest. And I think it's an interesting an interesting topic to see if he is really Hall of Fame worthy. His defense certainly is. Sure. And, you know, we've talked about Brooks Robinson quite a bit. Brooks Robinson was not a great offensive player, but his defense was obviously there. Yeah, Brooks, known as the majority of baseball fans as the greatest defensive third baseman of all time. Yeah, the human vacuum cleaner. Right. Uh, now, he did have some good offensive years. He led the league in RBI uh, in 1964, and he had a lifetime batting edge of 267, if you're going to go by that. He only hit 300 one time, uh, two times in his career. So definitely not the offensive, and we know he was as slow as... You can get just about, despite the fact that he had 28 career stolen bases, led the league and grounded into double plays and triple plays. Uh, we've talked about quite a few times as well. So really obviously known for his defense much more than his offense. And I think Keith Hernandez falls right into this kind of sweet spot where Brooks Robinson was an obvious Hall of Famer. So Keith played for 17 years. He ended up with 2,186 hits. 1,071 RBI. How many stolen bases do you think Keith Hernandez has? Uh, 14. No, he is right up there with Rafael Palmero. 98 stolen bases career-wise. Oh, wow. Yeah, 63 caught stealing. So not a, not a great percentage. 296 career batting average. A 384 career on-base percentage, which is excellent. 128 OPS plus. He has a career war of 60.3. He appeared in 2014 games. I mentioned the defensive numbers before. 19,706 chances, only 115 errors. That's a 994 fielding percentage. He was the National League MVP, co-MVP in 1979. A five-time All-Star, 11 gold gloves, and he won the batting title in 1979. I don't know that you can, again, the, the offensive numbers are good, but they're not great. But the, that defense was just incredible. And, I mean, looking at these numbers, offensively, he is very close to Brooks Robinson numbers. And, and in fact, surpasses Brooks Robinson in many of these categories. Uh, he definitely was more consistent when it came to RBI, although Brooks has a higher total. He stole more bases. On-base percentage was definitely higher. Uh, 268 home runs for Brooks, 162 for Keith. 
never really a big uh, power guy, but he got a lot of extra base hits, 426 doubles, which is just about the same as as Brooks Robinson. So I, I kind of consider these two as almost equals. And for that, I'm I'm on board with Keith going into the Hall of Fame. Well, you, you make a, a compelling argument, that's for sure. I don't know if I'm I'm convinced quite yet, but uh, that's the best argument I've heard for it so far. Yeah, and Brooks Robinson went in on his very first year with 92% of voters voting for him. That was in 1983. So hmm. ugh, I, I just, I have a hard time not putting Keith in there. But uh, of course, alas, my, uh, my vote counts for nothing. <laughs> yeah, we, we haven't been given votes yet on the uh, on the election committee. No, we're still waiting for that. Yeah, someday. Yeah, so there there it is. There is Keith Hernandez. You know, very interesting. I, I, I keep meaning to do an episode on the Pittsburgh drug trials, which he was involved in here, and I touched on very briefly. Interesting career. He's published five books, three of which oh. I have read somehow. Uh, let us know. Do you think Keith Hernandez is uh, is a Hall of Famer? Would was you uh, one of the books he wrote? Wasn't that on uh, microbiology? Yeah, that was that was one of the five that I didn't read. Textbook, yeah, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I, it's still weird that uh, that he uh, did that, but that was before he got back into the booth when he was kind of trying to find oh, himself. Right. All right, that's going to do it for uh, Keith Hernandez, aka stuff, Jeff. Pretty Boy and Max. It's, it's funny that he doesn't not listed as pretty boy in nicknames on baseball reference. Hmm, that's what Newman called him. Yeah. And if Newman calls him that, then it's that's kind of right. Funny. All right. So that's going to wrap up the uh, story part of our show. And that's going to lead us in to uh, our final segment. It is time for everybody's favorite cardboard and wax based 1v1 co host v co host exhibition. It is time for Wax Hero. All right, before we get into it, let's review the rules. Mark and I will both be opening a pair of baseball cards, generally from the junk wax era. We will look at these cards and get credit for each player's baseball reference war from the year of the pack we are opening. However, whoever has the highest war total at the end is proclaimed the winner. But there are some qualifiers that can add or subtract from your score if the player is wearing real stirrups that we can see sanitary socks beneath. That's an extra tenth of a point of war because that's good. But if they are wearing the dreaded two-in-ones, that is minus half a point. Noah's Frio. If they have anything around their eyes, meaning sunglasses, glasses, glasses, a monocle, or even goggles, extra tenth of a point of war. If they're wearing sweatbands with their jersey number or caricature on them, Extra tenth of a point of war for each. If that player won an award that season, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Gold Glove, or was an all-star, extra tenth of a point of war for each. And if that player now has a plaque in the hallowed grounds of Cooperstown, New York, you get a whole point of war because that there is a Hall of Famer. And finally, Mark and I will each pick a team. If we get a player from that team, we get an extra half a point of war. But if we get a player from the other person's team, we minus half a point. Mark... With that, which team are you picking? Well, Jeff, I'm going to leave you the Metropolitans since you uh, <laughs> did the uh, Keith Hernandez story. I'll take the Chicago Cubs this week. Okay. 
Well, I could go with the Metropolitans, but since you chose the Cubs, you know, Keith came <laughs> up with and won a World Series with the St. Louis Cardinals. So I'm going to choose the Cardinals there you to, go. to go with that natural rivalry. All right. I'm going to I think we're going to open one of these packs of 97 Don Ross that I've got here that I have to there's they're double packed uh, in these hanging things. I've got a pack in my left hand, a pack in my right hand. Which one would you like to claim as your own? Right hand, please. Right hand. Okay. I'm going to have you go first again since I won last week and it worked this way. Uh, you have chosen the, uh, I've written down Chicago Cugs instead of Cubs, but <laughs> yes, the Cugs. I, I yes. still know who they are. Do you mean Cogs? <laughs> uh, there are, uh, by the way, there are 14 cards in this pack and we only opened 10. So which would you like to lose, the first four or the last four? Let's ditch the final four. The final four. All right. So you are going to be losing. Let's see. You're going to be losing Garrett Anderson, uh, Mark Grace, Ooh. Greg Myers. Oh, there's it's a good looking card, but that's somebody I haven't thought about for a while. And Seattle Mariners Hall of Famer Edgar Martinez. Ouch. That yeah, one hurt. That one is uh, probably going to hurt the most there. Yeah. All right. So uh, here we go. Again, you've chosen the Cugs, and I have chosen the Cardinals. Uh, let's see. First, you have got a first baseman for the New York Metropolitans. I should have chosen them. Uh, here he yeah. is. I remember this. I think he was the last uh, New York Met to wear number 42 before it was retired across the league. Butch Husky. Butch Husky. Yeah, I remember uh, collecting his cards with high hopes. How'd that turn out for you? Uh, I think I gave them away. So somebody has this. I Butch played for the Mariners a little bit, I think. Well, at least you didn't have to to pay somebody to take him. Yeah, he did play for the Mariners in 1997. Uh, we are looking at, uh, or 1999, we are looking at 1997. He was on the Mets that year for the whole year. 142 games he appeared in. He hit 287 with 24 home runs and 81 RBI. That is not bad. A 114 OPS plus. And all of that will start you off with a .8 war. There is nothing on this card that's going to help you out because he's got his pants pulled all the way down to the uh, to the tops of the shoes. But at least you are in the positive. I'll take that. Do you remember who the uh, who the Mariners traded to get Butch Husky? Wow. Um, no, I don't. Does the name Leslie Bray mean anything to you? <laughs> I think I dated her. <laughs> well, she is not an attractive woman. If that, if you did indeed <laughs> date uh, Leslie Bray that I am looking at here on Baseball Reference, the only pitch for two years in the big leagues. Yeah, not uh, not a lot to speak of there. All right, so you're at least in the positive to start out with. Next, you have got a pitcher for the Cleveland Guardians, Charles Nagy. Hey, Chaz Nagy was a pretty good pitcher starter, right? Correct. I remember him being pretty solid. Yeah, nickname Nags. I never heard that one, but I can see where they got it. 14 years in the big leagues, 13 with the Guardians, spent a final year in 2003 with the Padres and only five games there. But in 1997, he went 15 and 11. I mean, he was in double figures wins-wise most of his time in Cleveland. A 4.28 ERA, 227 innings pitched, 149 strikeouts, and a 109 ERA+. plus. And that equals a war of 3.7. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's good. Nothing else on this card is going to help you out, but 3.7 is a big one. I remember, uh, you know, I was working in basketball 
and there was a uh, a player whose last name was N A G Y, but they pronounced it Naj, and it was it just <laughs> I couldn't do it. I'm just so used to saying Nagy that I consistently Naj. Yeah. All right, so you are up to 4.5. Next, you have got a Dodger, a very good Dodger, Eric Karos. Eric Karos, or as uh, they used to call him on WTBS, Eric Karras. <laughs> I'm going to guess that that was a, a skip reference. <laughs> I think so, yes. Uh, Eric Karras, I'm going to say it now, too. Also, a brief member, one of those guys that played his final year in Oakland. I remember that. Uh, I think he's doing TV for Fox now for the national games. I think he's not that bad. Huh. Let's see. In 1997, he was with L.A. Uh, 14 years in the big leagues, 12 with the Dodgers, played in 162 games that year, hit 266, 31 home runs, 104 RBI. That is not bad at all. On base of 329, slugging 459 for an OPS plus of 110. And that will get you a war of 1.0 even. Nothing on this card is going to help you out. I'll take it. Uh, 96. He had a kind of an anomaly. He hit into 27 double plays, which has led the league. Lucky guy. Well, not a quick guy. He stole 15 bases in 1997. A career wow. high. The only time he stole double digits. 59 <laughs> stolen bases in his career. And rookie of the year in 1992. That's right. All right. So you are at 5.5. Your next card is a catcher for the Kansas City Royals. It is Mike Sweeney. Mike Sweeney could hit. Did he, uh, did he spend time in Seattle? Seems like he's the kind of guy that would have. I believe he did. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, 2009 and 2010. There you go. And in Oakland. <laughs> Our two franchises are the franchises where they, they go it's to. the end of career franchises. Yeah, the, the MLS of the, uh, the baseball world. That's our teams. 1997. Just still his third year in the big leagues, played in, at that point, a career high, 84 games. So kind of just the backup catcher at that point. Hit 242, seven long balls, 31 RBI, 73 OPS plus. And that equates to, again, a war of 1.0 exactly. Hmm. So you're consistent here. Well, I'll take the positives. Oh, so in 1998 with the Royals, he tied a club record with uh, two hits in an inning versus the A's, and he missed a cycle by 40 feet as he only needed a triple in the eighth inning, but the Royals were leading by a score of 12 to 6, so he stuck to a double instead of trying to stretch it out. So good for him. That's good baseball. Unwritten rule. Okay, so Mike Sweeney uh, apparently had a holy war with Jeff Weaver at one point. in uh, Well, he was still with the, the Royals. It was against the Tigers, and Jeff Weaver was on the mound. Sweeney asked the home plate umpire uh, to have Weaver move the rosin bag from the top of the mound. Weaver did not care for this, put his glove over his mouth and started yelling something to Sweeney. Sweeney was not happy about that, launched his batting helmet at Weaver and charged the mound. Okay. Both uh, both benches cleared. Sweeney said afterwards that Weaver had been criticizing the Royals young players and Sweeney's faith. Now, I do know that Mike Sweeney is a very pious individual. I remember that when he was with the A's. Paul Bird, another very pious individual, came and held Sweeney back so that he couldn't get to uh, to Weaver. But Sweeney missed the next 15 games due to a bruised hand and then 10 as a suspension. And that was the first time he'd ever been ejected. Oh, let's see. Uh, Mike married the daughter of uh, Jim Nettles and niece of Greg Nettles. I've had the pleasure of working with Jim Nettles before. That's pretty funny. 
That's uh, very good. Also uh, has a picture of him and his children with Pope Benedict. <laughs> okay. Well, I told you he was pious. Uh, let's see. He also won the 2003 and 2004 Good Guy in Sports Award from the Sporting News. Oh, that's nice. All right. So you're at 6.5. You're next. Uh, you've got an angel, and uh, he is uh, in the outfield here. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, one of the uh, infamous fish brothers. It's Tim Salmon. Tim Salmon. Also, solid hitter, man. Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for Mike Trout, he would easily be the best fish-based player, I think, maybe in Major League history. Only because Mike Carp wasn't given the chance uh, that he needed to be successful. Uh, let's see, 1993 Rookie of the Year for the then California Angels. In 1997, they had then become the Anaheim Angels, not the... Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim as they are today. Hit 296, 33 home runs, 129 RBIs. That's nice. 394 on base and a 134 OPS plus. Received some MVP votes. You know, Tim Salmon was never an all-star. Weird. That is That's very weird. strange. I would have I would have thought he would have been. 1997, all that equates to a war of 5.0, and he's got eye black on, so you're gonna get a 5.1 there. Wow, go Timmy Salmon. Yeah, that's very nice. That'll bring your total up to 11.6. Tim Salmon, one of those guys that played his entire career with one team, 14 years, all of it with the Angels, nicknamed Kingfish. Uh, interestingly, he hit 299 career home runs, just couldn't get that 300th one. All right, so you are at 11.6. Next, you have got a Kansas City Royal. Oh, a self-proclaimed idiot. And uh, wow, if you uh, if you know his off the field personality, especially now, Johnny Damon. That's right. He he started with uh, he came up with the Royals. Yep. Very highly touted prospect. Came up with the Royals and uh, was traded to the A's. That's right. In uh, two thousand and one, and then of course went on to the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Tigers, the Rays, and the Guardians, of which I don't remember any of those last three teams. Wow. 18 years, though, in the big leagues, most of it, six, well, not most of it, but the most, a third of it, with the uh, Royals, six years there. In 1997, let's see, hit 275. Uh, not much power for Johnny, never had a whole bunch. 48 RBI, 16 stolen bases, 10 caught stealing. That's not a good look there. A 88 OPS plus, and that is going to be a 2.2 war for you, and we are in the midst of... A time when most players pulled down their pants all the way to their shoes. So I can't see any stirrups yes. or anything there. The slacks era. <laughs> yeah, well, and the Manny Ramirez pajama yes. uh, jam going on there. I'm not going to go into his personal life. He's, uh, he's if you want to look at his mug shot, you can uh, go ahead and look that up on your own. Uh, but he has been on uh, Bravo's Below Deck twice, which is uh, one of my uh, guilty pleasures. Nice. All right, next you got a pitcher for the Dodgers, Ishmael Valdez. I think I remember him. I think he pitched for a while. I definitely remember Ishmael Valdez because it was a real fun name to say. Still is. 12 years in the big leagues. Uh, most of it with the Dodgers. He came up in 1994. 1997, he went 10 and 11, had a 2.65 ERA in 30 starts. Wow. I say this every episode, but ERA is a, and, and record are two things that don't really matter, at least to us anymore. Uh, 196 and two-thirds innings, 140 strikeouts, a ERA plus of 146. 
So this should probably help you out. A war of 4.7, but he does have two and one, so only a 4.6. Wasn't expecting a over four score from Ismael Valdez. That's awesome. Yeah, that ERA plus. Uh, I figured that that was probably going to help you out there. All right, so you're at 18.4, and you have got three cards left. You have got a member of the Cincinnati Reds, our boy Reggie Sanders. Ah, there you go. Uh, Reginald Laverne Sanders. Let's see. I remember when he was with the uh, with the Hammers in 2000 because that was right in the middle of my time there. Let's. But uh, 1997, he was still with Cincinnati. 86 games. I think he was hurt a little bit that year. 253 average. 19 home runs. Still 56 RBI. 347 on base and a 120 OPS plus. And that will get you a 2.0. I am going to give you a. Uh, Tenth of a point here. Interesting card here. It looks like he's on the field during pregame, a pregame ceremony, and he's got a video camera up to his uh, face. And this is back when you still had a viewfinder, and he's got that up against his eye. We say in the rules specifically, anything on your eye is going to get you a tenth of a point. <laughs> I appreciate the honesty. So I'm going to go ahead and give you a 2.1 there. I believe uh, Reggie Sanders, I remember a game where Pedro Martinez, okay, was throwing a perfect game, and he he was pitching inside. What a shock from Pedro. <laughs> and uh, he hit Reggie, and Reggie Sanders, the first mistake of a perfect game, he charges the mound. I thought you couldn't bunt after the sixth inning. I thought that was the first. No? Well, I, I guess charging the mound after losing a guy lost a perfect game is it's kind of odd, but, I mean, if you're mad, you know. Let's see. Here it is. April 13th, 1994, Expos versus the Reds. Will he do it again? Pedro has struck out seven, including the side in the fifth inning. And Reggie's going to go after him. It's the third time. Both benches empty as they try to pull each other apart at the mound. Wow, Reggie and this Sanders. this was a big one, too. I mean, they really came charging out of that, out of that dugout from both sides. That was a big brawl. Yeah, I, I remember that it was early in the season, and uh, I was just like, I remember being flabbergasted that he would think, you know, wow, he's trying to hit me during a perfect game. But then again, you know, Pedro. Well, they mentioned it, too. That was the third time that Reggie had been hit by by Pedro in his career. So probably some some bad blood going into that, but also try and throw him off. He's throwing a perfect game. Yeah. Yeah. Reggie was involved in some big trades. He was traded from the Reds to the Padres for Mark Sweeney and Greg Vaughn. But also traded with Wally Joyner and Kill Vio Veras. There's a good name I haven't said for a while. Nice. To Atlanta for Brett Boone, Ryan Klesko, and Jason Scheel. Wow. Yeah, that's some, that is a big trade. Some big trades. All right, you got uh, two cards left. You're at 20.5. Uh, this one might help you out. Father of uh, somebody we mentioned earlier, Bo Bichette. Here is with the Rockies, Dante Bichette. Dante, just a big barrel chested guy. Yeah, this is a uh, quite a picture here. He has got like a a very uh, straight and well groomed. I don't do Fu Man shoes. Do they come down? Are they hanging off of your chin? Um, no, Fu Man is just the mustache part, like Hulk Hogan. Oh, okay, okay, because it's the mustache and then it goes down the sides, but there's nothing on his chin. But it's it's a very, I mean, very straight lines, reminiscent of Buff Bagwell at this time. <laughs> <laughs> nice reference. Wow. So let's see. Dante Bichette played 14 years in the big leagues. 1997. Wow. You have not had a gold glove, all-star, rookie of the year. You've had nothing so far. Yeah. 
And Dante's not going to help you out. 1997, he hit 308, 26 home runs, 118 RBI, a 343 on base, but a 510 slugging, only a 103 OPS plus. So you might not get as much here as as, as we would have hoped. Only a war of 0.2. Wow. Wow. That OPS plus is a good barometer of what you're going to get war wise. Yes, Uh, it really is. So Dante Bichette in those 14 years ended up with 274 home runs, led the league in 1995. Wow. He led the league in hits, home runs, RBI, slugging and total bases. It's a pretty good year. Yeah. He came in second in MVP voting behind Barry Larkin that year. Uh, also led the league in hits in 1998 with 219. So somebody that you think of as, as being a big power guy, he could really hit a career batting average of 299, but his career on base percentage was only 336. Oh, wow. Yeah, not uh, that's that's kind of strange. Uh, even when he led the league with 219 hits, his on base percentage was only 357. Just didn't walk. Yeah, he did not. Yeah, look at man. He'd struck out, you know, close to 100 times each year, and he would only walk 30, 30 times. Not a lot of plate <laughs> discipline. Not what you're looking for in uh, the modern game anyway. No. All right, and your final card is, oh, wow. I got something to say about this guy that nobody's going to care about. But uh, here he is with the uh, New York Mets. Again, I should have gone with the Mets, like you said. Uh, Rico Bronia. Oh, Rico Bronia, Yes. We haven't talked about him, I don't think, at all. I don't think we have, yeah. And this is, uh, let's see, so Rico Bronia played for nine years in the big leagues, came up with Detroit in 1992 for nine games. I would have never guessed he came up with the Tigers. But uh, in 1997, his first year with the Phillies, he was a regular, appeared in 148 games. He hit 252, 20 home runs, 81 RBI, 12 stolen bases, and was only caught three times. The oh. only time he was in double digits at 293 on base percentage. So he hit 252 and his on base percentage was 293. Another guy that doesn't walk a lot. Yeah, that you can say that again. And uh, here's our barometer, an 88 OPS plus. So that is going to equate to a minus 2.5. He does have eye black on. I block and sunglasses on his on his hat, but uh, that'll only help you to a minus 2.4. Minus two. Usually your negatives are like decimals. Yeah, I know. Thanks, Rico. I wonder if his defense was atrocious or something. I mean, he didn't walk at all. We know that. Yeah, he struck out 100 times. Short career because he had spinal arthritis. But uh, I know he is still around. He does a lot of coaching. I've seen him several times. Also had uh, testicular cancer. So he's uh, had some definite health issues. Now, for me... I play uh, similar to Stratomatic, which is, I I think Stratomatic might even have a a computer version now, but I play out-of-the-park baseball, which is just an incredibly in-depth computer simulation, and I am doing a historic replay that I think I started in 19, uh, I started in the year 1986 or something. Rico Bronia is going to go down in my league as the greatest player in the history of baseball. He has got like 800 home runs. He's hitting over 300. He has won every award multiple times and uh, has just been an incredible player in that league. But that means nothing to anybody, nor, you know, should it. Well, you know, it reminds me of my of Greg Gagne for me. He was, you know, my home run hitter yeah. for years. You never know in these simulation games, man. That's why, that's why I keep playing them. They're a lot of fun. 
All right, so you finish up at 18.3, and I'm going to go ahead and cut my, again, the fact that I got to cut these says something, but got to cut open the, all right, I am going to, I'm going to follow your lead, and I'm going to lose the top four players on this pack. All right, so I am going to, or did you, did you do the bottom four? Hit the back four, and I lost Edgar. Okay, well, I'm going to go with the top four, then we'll just break. Uh, let's see, so I'm going to lose BJ Surhoff. We'll lose Tim Wakefield, who is throwing a knuckleball here in this picture. Catcher for the Orioles, Marcus Jensen. And this one might hurt a little bit. Uh, closer for the Angels, Troy Percival. Sure. But I can see that that uncovers my first card is now a Hall of Famer. Oh, nice. It is none other than Larry Wayne Chipper Jones. Oh, yes. Chipper, one of those few players to live up to the hype. Remember when he was coming up, though, and all the hype and he hurt his knee? Yes. Yeah, so he didn't get to start his major league career at the, you know, started a year or two later than than expected. So he appeared in, in eight games with the uh, Hammers in 93 and then got hurt and didn't play in 94. 1997, good news for me, he is an all-star. So right off the bat there. Hit 295. Let's see, 21 home runs, 111 RBI, 20 stolen bases. How many stolen bases career-wise do you think Chipper has? Well, if he stole 20 in one year, I'm going to go with 110. 150. So oh, he wow. stole double digits through the first like six or seven years in his career and then never had him over double digits after. 97, uh, 371 on base, a 850 OPS and a 119 OPS plus. If that tells you where this is headed. And that will be a 3.9. He's a Hall of Famer. And uh, he was an uh, all-star that year. So that will be 5.4. He's got eye black on. Now, uh, let's see here. He is giving a high five to, I, free, I believe, Fred McGriff, who has got a number 27 on his wristband. Do we count that? <laughs> is it, it's, it has to be on your player on the card, I think. Okay. Well, Not just existing, right? <laughs> you can't take it. You can't have a card of a guy standing in front of his locker with a <laughs> with a bunch of you know glasses and sunglasses. You count those, right? Okay. Well, I'm going to get a, an even 5.0 out of this, so I'll take. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Interesting. I was just looking at Chipper. He had this incredible year in '08, where he only finished 12th in the All-Star voting, but he hit 364 with an on-base of 470. 470. Yeah, he 470. came in 12th in the MVP voting, not the All-Star. I'm sorry, the MVP voting. That's what I... Yeah, at, at the age of 36. Unbelievable. Yeah, 22 home runs, 75 RBI that year as well, and an All-Star. Uh, let's see, Larry Wayne Chipper Jones. I believe we've talked quite a bit about him. I think we mentioned that he released a, uh, a wine for charity called the Chipper Chardonnay in 2008. It's either the Chipper Chardonnay or the Shipper Chardonnay. It can't be both. The Shipper Chardonnay. I like that one. Uh, enjoys deer hunting because he's from the South and the co-owner of Outdoor Channel's hunting show Buck Commander, which I believe has spawned a video game. I think so. I've heard of it. With friends Adam LaRoche, Ryan Langerhans, Tom Martin, and Willie Robertson. Of which I know the first, the first two, and uh, he is co-owner and co-host of the television show Major League Bow Hunter on the Sportsman Channel. Okay, interesting. So if you want to see him skewer uh, innocent little uh, little animals, a, I guess you can put, a, put an arrow through a deer's head. Catch that? Yeah, we we are not big <laughs> hunters here on this show. All right, let's uh, let's get on. Next, we have got a former teammate 
of a chipper at this point it would be a, a future teammate but man i love this guy had cancer during his career came back just a great a great guy and a great player the big cat andres galarraga nice yeah andres is just all around solid ball player man i i everyone loved andres he was such a, I, I, he's still around, but I mean, as a player, just such a great guy. Everyone loved him. Always had a smile on his face. 1997, good news for me again. All-star at the nice. age of 36 in Colorado. Led the league in RBI for the second straight year with 140, 41 home runs. Get this, 15 stolen bases. What? He's 36 years old at this point. So I'm going to ask you the question. How many career stolen bases does Andres Galarraga have? Okay. Wow. If he stole, I'm going to go with 110. <laughs> 128. Hey, not bad. Not bad. He collected double digits in six years of his wow. career. The I year he's before. He's a big guy, too. Yeah. The year before, he had 18. He's listed oh, wow. here as being 6'3, 235. Yeah. He's a big dude. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Uh, I said 140 RBI, 41 home run, a 389 on base percentage. He hit 318, and that equals a 131 OPS plus. That's good news for me. And all of that equates to a war of 3.8. He was an all star, so that will be uh, 4.3. And he's got eye black on, so that is a 4.4. I am already at 9.4 after two Ouch. cards. Out. Wow. Uh, Whitey Herzog, we talked about him, him and his dislike for Keith Hernandez earlier. Uh, Whitey Herzog called Andres Galarraga the best fielding right handed first baseman he'd seen since Gil Hodges. Wow. Of course, Keith was a left hander, so he wasn't throwing shade there. Also, uh, Andres had a uh, inside the park home run. Wow. I did not know that. That speedster. Yeah. Also, won two gold gloves in his career. Just all around, just a good, solid baseball player. Yeah, really was good defensively. Obviously, uh, very good with the bat. Had power, could hit for average. Uh, as I mentioned, he had Hodgkin's lymphoma. Missed the entire 1999 season. Came back as the comeback player of the year the next year. Oh, this is good. Vinny Castilla, ex-teammate, switched from number 9 to 14 on that year that Galarraga missed due to cancer. Oh, that's cool. All right, next Wow, this uh, this is going to be an interesting ruling. Uh, I have got a guy that was traded for Ken Phelps. <laughs> Ken Phelps. Ken Phelps. My baseball people. Uh, get Jay Buhner. Here he is uh, crossing home plate and celebrating with number 24, Ken Griffey Jr. Nice. Now, at certain times, we have said anybody on the card, we're going to go ahead and look up their numbers and use them as well. This is true. Uh, I am content with not doing that and just taking the uh, the the one plus point for having a Hall of Famer on the card. Now, okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but when we've done it in the past, it's been like a a, a team card and each of the like you know the A's checklist. Yep, I, I I know what you're saying. Yeah, when there's like a meeting at the mound and for the A's leaders, they've got three players there. But I got no problem with you getting the Hall of Fame points because, uh, I mean, it's Griffey. Yeah, I think if I if I would take Griffey's numbers for 1997, <laughs> yeah. I'd probably win right off the bat. Yeah, I just uh, I would just resign. <laughs> All right. So let's see. 97 for Jay Buhner. No all star this year. 15 years in the big leagues. 14 of it 
with the Mariners a, a season and a half with the with the New York Yankees before the infamous trade led the league in strikeouts this year with 175 led the league the prior year with 159 but he did walk 119 times so his on base percentage was still 383 which is a little bit above average wow 40 home runs 109 RBI <laughs> I'm going to ask you the question on Jay Buhner how many career stolen bases uh three very close six really <laughs> Caught stealing 24. Oh, God. Jay, I need you to plant yourself on that bag and don't move. <laughs> Jay was never known for his, uh, I don't even want to call it speed. No, he was uh, never known for his motion. That's right. Let's see, a uh, OPS plus of 132, that bodes well. That will get me a 3.3. Bone does have uh, some shades on here, despite the fact it's clearly overcast. And we've got Ken Griffey Jr. in the picture. So that will be a 4.4. Wow. I'm just curious. I'm going to go ahead and just look at what uh, what Griffey would have gotten me from this year. Let's see. Uh, Griffey this year hit 304, 56 home runs, 147 RBI, 15 stolen bases. And he was an all-star. And he was the MVP. 9.1. <laughs> oh, it would have been over. Just his card alone would have put me over, over the, the top. No doubt. All right. So regardless, so I'm at 13.8 after three cards and you ended up with 18.3. Wow. We could have some uh, position players uh, pitching by the end of this game. Uh, Next, I have got hurler for the New York Yankees, Andy Pettit. Andy Pettit. Let's see. Andy Pettit, 18 years in the big leagues, split most of it with the Yankees, 15. And then three years he went to Houston to pitch with Roger Clemens and then went back to the Yankees again for another six years. Wow. 1997. Wow. In 1996, his first full year in the big leagues, he led the league in wins with 21. In 1997, he went 18 and seven with a 2.88 ERA. Started 35 games, 240 in a third inning, struck out 166, an ERA plus of 156, led the league in, in home runs per nine with 0.3. Wow. That is a very low number. Came in fifth in the Cy Young voting, and that will equate to a war of 8.4. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm digging this pack. And he's got real stirrups on. For anybody at this point that wore real stirrups and showed them, that is a big plus. So that'll be a 8.5. What are you, four cards in? Yeah. And okay. uh, I'm, I'm at... 22.3, which is five more than you. <laughs> I think I think it's checkmate. For his career, just some great numbers. But yeah, I mean, his name came up with steroids an awful lot, especially with his close friendship with Roger Clemens, who, of course, mm-hmm. is a big time. 256 and 153 career record. Just I don't I don't even know. Is he still on the ballot? That's a good question. I, um, I don't believe he is. He if he is, he's not mentioned very often. Yeah, I, I, I think he has fallen off the ballot. He retired in 2013, so he would have still been on there. Yeah, I mean, he would have he would have only been on for a couple of years at this point, but I'm pretty sure he has fallen off. But uh, just a, he had a great career, great move, especially, mm-hmm. I mean, a lefty. He had a good hit start. All right, next we've got uh, catcher for the Red Sox, Mike Stanley. Not to be confused with Stanton. No, Giancarlo or otherwise. 
or Mike Stanton. Yeah, didn't didn't Giancarlo? I, I said that because uh, Giancarlo Stanton went by Mike Stanton when he, he first he came did. up, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yep. Mike Stanley, fifteen years in the big leagues, split through a couple of different teams. Nineteen ninety seven, he split it between the Yankees and the Red Sox. Always kind of odd when that happens. For the year, for a catcher, hit two ninety seven with a three ninety three on base. Wow, 16 home runs, 65 RBI, and a 132 OPS plus. That's looking good. And that will get me a 1.6 war. And he's got real stirrups. That's nice. We're going to put in a mop-up man here. All right. So, Mark, I am at 24 even, which is a good number. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's Ricky Henderson, obviously. You finished at 18.3, and I still have five cards left. Goodness gracious. So, I'm going to go another inning or two with the bullpen. I've resting the starter. And then I'm going to just start bringing people in from the stands. Okay. All right. Here we've got a pitcher from the uh, Rockies, Jamie Wright. Jamie Wright, tall guy, six foot six, 240. Wow. Tall drink of water. 19 years in the big leagues. Most of it spent in Colorado with six. Beyond that, he played for a lot of other teams, uh, including your Seattle Mariners. In 1997, it was his second year in the big leagues. He went eight and 12 with a 6.25 ERA. Welcome to Coors, an 83 ERA plus. That will equate to still a war of a positive 0.1, but he's got uh, two and one, so it's going to be a wash. I'm content with just staying at 24 if I can get this for the rest of the, the game. Here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would be too. Interesting, in 97, uh, his whip ratio was 1.797, which isn't going to help you out in rotisserie style baseball. Uh, still, though, I mean, for a non-lefty, a, a long, long career. Very much so. Next, well, I got a Hall of Famer. Of course you do. <laughs> this is, if I double your score, do I get two wins? No, it means I have to send you a candy bar of your choice. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm going to want a Reggie bar, just by the way. Well, uh, or no, I'm going to want a Tony Gwen bar. That's what I'm going to want. Hall of Fame catcher here with the Dodgers, Mike Piazza. Oh, nice. Mike Piazza in 1997, an all-star. Came in second in the MVP voting this year. 40 home runs, 124 RBI, uh, 362 average, a 431 on base, and a 185 <laughs> OPS plus. And uh, that is going, you know, it's only a .9 war. What? I wonder why. Uh, you know, not a great defensive catcher. I mean, with those offensive numbers, that is... Uh, that I mean, is, those are big offensive numbers yeah but uh he is a hall of famer and he was an all-star so that will get me a 2.4 and uh, nothing else on this card is going to help me out but uh, i i'll take it because 2.4 is almost 24 you know it's just, just one decimal spot away. 24 with a decimal uh let's see mike piazza of course I've talked about it. He bought a, a low-level football team in, in Italy that was in financial trouble and ran them into the ground with more financial trouble. So not a great. <laughs> Boy, I am really glad, though, that I did not subtract the back four from this pack because I got another Hall of Famer. Oh, my God. <laughs> Pitcher for the uh, Hammers, one-time closer for the Hammers, John Smoltz. Oh, yeah. Hall of Famer, 1997. With the uh, Hammers, went 15-12. and 12. He was still a starter at this point. Led the league and game started, innings pitched, hits given up. To still only a 3.02 ERA and an ERA plus of 138. He struck out 241 in 256 innings, so almost a strikeout per inning. 
He did win one the stat. Silver Slugger that year, but we don't count that one. I don't know why, but. One stat I love about Smoltz is career-wise, 213 wins, 154 saves. Pretty impressive. Very, uh, very impressive. Let's see. Uh, all of this equates to a 4.8 war, plus he's a Hall of Famer, so that's 5.8. Nothing else in this card is going to help me, but uh, I'll, I'll somehow get by with the 5.8. <laughs> this might be the greatest pack in the history of this game right here. I got two cards left. We'll get through these kind of quickly. Next, we've got pitcher for the uh, Rangers. It's John Burkett. Do they call him Charcoal, you think? <laughs> wow, that's kind of a dad joke reference. That's kind of what we do here, despite the fact neither of us had kids. Let's see. 1997. First of all, uh, Berkey, 15 years in the big leagues. Six with the Giants, 1997, he's with the Rangers, 9-12 and 12 with a 4.56 ERA, a 139 strikeouts and 189.3, or a third, innings, and a 105 ERA plus. That equates to a war of 2.4. Nothing else on this card is going to help me out, except for it's close to 24. Again, 2.4. That's what matters. I'll give you, this, this guy was a workhorse. I mean, innings, 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 every year. Now, John Burkett, I remember this now that I'm reading it, but I remember, you know, today it's Mookie Betts, who's a good bowler in terms mm-hmm. of major league players. John Burkett, and I, we've talked about this before, I, I'm pretty sure, was also a part-time professional bowler and has rolled 32 300 games. That's just crazy. I didn't know people did that. He even was on the PBA tour while he was still, uh, while he was still pitching. Wow. Uh, just a, a good, good, I, I don't, do I, should I say athlete for being a good bowler too? Of course. He's a good guy. That's it. We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> All right. So I am at 34.6. I am very close to doubling your score. I'm not sure that the final pitcher for the Mets here is going to help me, but it is Paul Wilson. Paul Wilson. Let's see. Paul Wilson, seven years in the big leagues. Uh, he came up with the Mets in 96, didn't appear in the majors again until the year 2000. So that's not going to help me out anything here. He ended up going 40 and 58 over those seven years with ERA plus of 88. Uh, not a lot going on there. I didn't need it. He, he's who I brought in to finish up this game. That's it, your mop-up guy. My final score, 34.6 compared to 18.3. I have won two in a row. I'm feeling good. I feel like my defense isn't isn't holding up. Yeah, well, we subscribe to the best defense is a good offense, which is why we scored 34.6. Yeah, I guess so. All right, so let's take a look at the leaderboard. You are still at 12 wins. I have now moved up to eight. I am within four. So very exciting as we head down the final stretch. And and you've got momentum. When I've won so. two in a row. I'm still not even halfway to winning, but uh, we are playing to 20. All right, so that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, all right, so that's going to wrap up this edition of Wax Packs Heroes. Let's start to wind down the show. I mentioned it at the beginning of the show. If you want to get a hold of us to give us second best topics, or if you have a... Uh, answer for our trivia question or you have an opinion whether keith hernandez do you think he's a hall of famer or not go ahead and you can reach us several ways we are on social media at two strike noise that is at two strike noise on twitter on instagram you can find us on youtube twitch all these will be in the show notes we also have a old-fashioned old-timey email address that mark's going to tell you about yeah you can email us at two strike noise at gmail.com 
Spell it out, T-W-O, strike noise at gmail.com. All right, that's going to about do it for us. Once again, next week, show number 150. If you want to send us a cake, you know, commemorating it, maybe gift certificates is probably a better way to go. But uh, I like that live lobster thing. That'll work. Oh, no, no, no. Let's not do that because I have had to kill a lobster before and I did not care for it when somebody did that. So, okay, we'll send you a dead one. Just send me a card for a lobster roll. It's somewhere. Just anyway. there we go. But uh, show 150 coming up next week. We are very excited for that. Again, please give us some ideas uh, for second best or some crazy box scores. We're going to try to make this more of a listener inspired uh, episode in terms of content. So please, uh, if you've got uh, if you've got, like I said, second best crazy box score or how about just you want to take a have us take a look at some players Wikipedia page. They've got a funny name. I don't know. Just send us something. We're going to go through that. Basically, we don't want to we don't want to do any work for show 150. <laughs> it's, it's on a, you. It's a show off. Yeah. If, if it's a bad episode 150, it's on you as the listener. So please help us out. Send us some things for us to look at. And uh, until then, we will see you on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.